Welcome to the podcast, Becoming Disciplined, where we acknowledge that self-discipline is the true starting point for all great achievements. A healthy tree is going to produce fruit, but the fruit isn't for the tree. The fruit isn't sustaining the tree. The fruit is going to give life to other people. Today on Becoming Disciplined, we interview Mike Smiths. Mike is a self-described productivity nerd who loves reading books and enjoys making things. He is currently the executive editor at The Sweet Setup and a co-host of the following podcast, Focused, Bookworm, and Intentional Family. He lives in Northeast Wisconsin with his wife and five children. Life is always an adventure for Mike, but he wouldn't trade it for the world. His focus is, and this is his quote, I try to do my best with what I've been given. I've made it my life's mission to help people make the most of their time, attention, energy, and focus so that they can take massive action on their goals and create the future they've always dreamed of. If you'd like to get in touch with Mike, you can contact him at faithbasedproductivity.com. Now for our listeners, I want everyone to know that I don't invite anyone on this show who is not disciplined, highly disciplined, in at least one of the following areas, spirituality, mental, physical, emotional, slash relationships, finance, calendar, home organization, or or data organization. Now, Mike is probably different than anyone else that I'm going to interview. He is a unicorn, okay, because uh, I am not a prophet but I am a pretty good predictor. I predict that Mike Smith will one day be a name like David Allen or Dr. Stephen Covey. It's just he hasn't been fully, fully discovered. I mean, people know him, but in the productivity world, but he's not been fully discovered yet. And I listened to it and I listened to an incredible amount of self-help, motivational and productivity material. And let me tell you this, Mike Schmitz, is what, what what I call, and he's very humble, but he's what I call one of the four horsemen of discipline. A lot of people talk about discipline, but when you look underneath the hood, and I won't even get specific, but I, one time I signed up for a course with a motivational speaker who's always talking about discipline, always talking about discipline. And when I signed up from the, the course, the organization, everything was just a hot mess. So there's a lot of people who talk about discipline, but when you look under the hood, they're not the real deal. Let me tell you all, Mike is the real deal. If you are curious, the other four horsemen are Craig Ballantyne, uh, Jocko Willink, and David Allen. The, the, you know, and I'm not saying I agree with everything that those three men do, but those are my four horsemen of discipline. Those are my Mount Rushmore of modern day uh, productivity and discipline. But, but before we talk about the issue of discipline, Let's try to understand Mike's context. What made Mike Schmitz? Context is everything. So where did you grow up, Mike? <laughs> Thank you for that glowing introduction. <laughs> oh, you deserve it. You deserve uh, it. I, well, thank you. Um, I do have to just at the very beginning before I answer the question about where I grew up, uh, I do have to share, I guess, that um, what you see people project online uh, specifically, that can be pretty intimidating. And uh, Jocko Willink and David Allen, you know, those names that you you threw out there, uh, 
I am very humbled to be included with them, but even they, I'm sure, would tell you that we are all just fellow travelers on this journey and we're trying to do the best that we can. So I will I will share everything. I'm try to be as transparent and authentic as I can be. So nothing's off limits. But uh, I will say that don't don't let anybody that, that you see online or hear, you know, in a podcast, don't let that intimidate you or discourage you from from starting. Everybody's got to start somewhere. And some of us are further along on our journey than others, but that's okay. Just keep going step by step, day by day, play by play, you know. <laughs> right, right. Um, that's why I call it becoming disciplined because I am, I am like, uh, like the apostle Paul said, I have not apprehended. Yeah. Okay. But I'm still pressing on. So, right. So, we all wish we were more disciplined than we are. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. But I'm interested to what made Mike Schmitz because you are a very, very unique person. So, so, so what, you know, what, what, de- what designs you, how did you get, how did you get here? Yeah, uh, I have basically been in Northeast Wisconsin my entire life. Uh, I am in Appleton right now. I grew up in Oshkosh, a town about 30 miles away. Uh, lived in Depeer for a while, which is a town about 30 miles away the other way. <laughs> um, that's where I went to, to college. But I've always been kind of close because uh, family's always been really important to me. My wife, her family's around here. My whole family's around here. So never really ever considered going anywhere else. My dad was an entrepreneur, started a, a soft out of his garage, I, w- I would say, but really it was like the kitchen. I remember had the copy machine in the kitchen, the Apple IIe in the living room, you know, like the home-based business. And he was always a, a hustler, not in the negative term, but like he was always like putting in the effort to build something that he was passionate about. So I think I caught that from him. <laughs> uh, he also, in terms of discipline, taught me from a young age age that when you commit to something you follow through with it it doesn't matter if it's going to be a lot harder than you thought it was your character's on the line so you you be true to your word and uh that that has uh, a lot of good sometimes it gets me into trouble (laughs) because when i make a commitment to something i will do whatever i need to do in order to to follow through and i don't like to be the person who breaks a promise, breaks a commitment, even if it's somebody that I just met, you know, I'm going to put my own health, my own well-being uh, on the line in order to make sure that I follow through for somebody else, which I've also been a bit of a a people pleaser over the years. So that's where that can get me into trouble. Um, I'm learning to draw the lines and protect the golden goose (laughs) because the truth is that if you can't take care of yourself, you're really not in a good position to help anybody else. You read earlier my life's mission, you know, it's all about helping other people. That really is what drives me. But I got to recognize that if I'm not taking care of myself, I'm not exercising, if I'm not eating right, if I'm not getting enough sleep, you know, I may have the heart to do that, but I don't have the physical or mental or emotional capability or margin in order to really help people. When you got kids at home specifically, you know, that's my, my first ministry right there. And if I feel like I'm not equipped to to help them with what they need, usually it comes back to, you know, I haven't been disciplined in being in taking care of myself. So over the years, you know, I've learned, I've made mistakes, I've made adjustments. Be disciplined. Subscribe now. Dude, did you play sports growing up? I did. Uh, I played soccer, basketball, and tennis in high school. Uh, I was always playing sports uh, growing up before then, but I really, it really wasn't competitively. Uh, I was homeschooled up until high school. 
And uh, I make that distinction because I feel like with competitive sports, there's a lot to be learned there, not just the physical, uh, the physical stuff and the technique and things like that. But one of the most valuable lessons that you can learn as a young person, I think, is how to handle failure. <laughs> Uh, what happens when you you lose? Um, my junior year of high school, we had a really really great soccer team. We made it to the uh, the state finals, lost in double overtime, and that was uh, at the moment pretty heartbreaking for me. Uh, but uh, what I realize now, looking back at that, is that what that taught me is uh, the resilience, you know, growth mindset where you figure out this didn't work. You now, what are you going to do differently next time? And uh, I think sports are, are great for that. They're great for learning to function as part of a team. Uh, football specifically is fascinating to me. I never played it, but when you talk about discipline and in a team setting, football is the ultimate example because you got to play and you've got all these people who are doing a specific assignment. And if they oh, even one of those assignments, the whole play is, is blown up. If you're an offensive lineman, your job is protecting the quarterback. You can't get upset because you're not the one throwing the ball. <laughs> you got a job to do and you got to show up and do it. You can't freelance. <laughs> you got to follow the plan. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, growing up, how were you academically? I was a pretty, uh, I was a good student. Um, I hesitate to answer that because my GPA was, was pretty high. Uh, I took the ACT and scored very well on it. And I allowed that to kind of set my course going into college. And I recognize in college that, that those tests really don't tell you a whole lot. <laughs> my highest area was science. I went into biology. I'm like, I'm going to be a chiropractor, you know, and almost failed a lot of the program my freshman year. I've made it, made it through, but my grades were, were not stellar. <laughs> and at that point, you know, again, going back to the, what do you do when you fail? You know, you figure out something else. Um, and so I, I learned uh, how to pass the test and do kind of like the bare minimum to succeed academically, uh, middle school, high school. But then it's when I got to college when things weren't easy for me anymore that I really think I, I grew up there. And that's a lesson that everybody's got to learn at some point. Like everybody wants to be the best at whatever field they're, they're going into. And there's always going to be somebody that is better than you. <laughs> You may be the biggest fish in a small pond for a little while, but if you are really trying to maximize your potential, you have to be looking for the bigger pond. And when you get to the bigger pond and you're not the big fish anymore, for if you if you've things have been easy for you your entire life, which is kind of what happened to me, that can cause kind of like an identity crisis. Like, well, I thought I was good at school. Now I'm not getting good grades. Like, I guess I'm not that good at school. But for me, it was simply I had to learn to ratchet up the effort. There's one class specifically that comes to mind, uh, business statistics, which I started that class and was failing it miserably because <laughs> it was just not in my wheelhouse, uh, nothing I had ever tried to do previously, but I put in the effort. And uh, the professor actually noticed that by the end of this, the semester had completely turned it around. And whereas other people who had started strong, you know, their grades went down because this was a difficult class. I actually started at the bottom and climbed my way back up to the top because I was disciplined enough to, to put, in the, put in the effort, even if it wasn't something that I wanted to do all the time. One of the most valuable lessons that I've ever learned right there. Awesome, awesome. awesome. Now, uh, how and when did you uh, develop good study habits and who was the person that you credit 
to helping you provide the structure of having good study habits? Oh man. Um, well, I guess the, when you say study habits, I would, I would ask to clarify that a little bit because I think from an academic standpoint, study habits, I maybe didn't learn those like I should have uh, until I got out of, or actually in college, I guess, kind of figured it out for myself. Um, got uh, my degree in business administration and graduated with a three point something GPA. I don't even remember what it is. Because since then, I've kind of recognized that you don't stop learning. <laughs> you don't stop going to school, so to speak. <laughs> uh, and that's really like, my wife and I, we homeschool our five kids. That's something that we want to instill in them is like you become a lifelong learner. Since then, I've read all these books. And the one that really stands out to me in particular is Mindset by Carol Dweck, who is a university professor. So I'm, I'm sure you can learn this in a school setting, but I did not. I had to get outside, outside of that and kind of teach myself because I found myself in this position working for the family business, but also having interests in productivity and stuff on the side. Uh, that's actually when I wrote my book is while well, I was working full-time with a young family. It was something that I was passionate about. I had gotten this revelation as I was teaching a Bible college class on personal management through our, our local church. And I'm like, this is really, really important. People got to know this. Uh, and I felt like, well, you got to be the one to write this down. Not that no one else has ever written it, you know, but uh, just felt like this is something I needed to do. Only time I had at the, at the time was early in the morning. I'm not a morning person, <laughs> but I was getting up at 5 a.m. every day so I could write for an hour, hour and a half before I went into the office. Eight months later, I'd self-published that book. And then that kind of led me career path, which has got me to where, where I am today. Uh, two weeks after I had started blogging because I'm super smart, <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, if I'm going to write a book, I don't know how to do that. What should I do? I should probably start writing. <laughs> <laughs> so started a blog, just started publishing every day. Within two weeks, one of the productivity sites that I had been following for a while posted they were hiring. And I approached them not about a job, but about the opportunity to guest post just to get more reps in. And they're like, well, we don't really do that, but if you have anything you, we can look at, send it over. I did, and then you know, sent them to my blog, which again, remember, I just started blogging two weeks ago. And then I, they said, this is really good. We can tell we read a lot of the same books, a lot of the same mindsets. We want to give this a shot. So that turned into a bigger project and a bigger project and then a part-time salary and then eventually a full-time uh, position. Uh, from there, it's been a bit of a roller coaster, but, but the thing that I've learned throughout all of this is that as you develop your skills through that love of lifelong learning, you find things that you never really considered you'd be doing, but all of a sudden it's kind of adjacent to something that you are doing. I've never really considered that, but I think I'll try it kind of like Toastmasters and public speaking for me. I always hated the idea of public speaking, but now it's something that I absolutely love to do because I feel like I can really connect with somebody when I am speaking to them face-to-face, -face, you know, and you can see their facial expressions and stuff like that. Um, and so it's kind of like one thing after another, you kind of just figure out what the next domino is to knock down as you, you go. And then that leads you some, some pretty cool places. You look back and you're like, how the heck did I get here? <laughs> <laughs> now you cover in that book, uh, the importance of sleep. And my question is, uh, you know, of course, uh, with five kids, are you a good sleeper? And when and where did you develop your current sleep habits? 
<laughs> it's a great question. Um, I don't know how much you know about me, but I was actually diagnosed with epilepsy when I was 18 years old. I had a seizure standing in line at a McDonald's. Uh, they took me in, in the ambulance. I don't remember anything, you know, waking up in the, the hospital. And they told me what happened. Um, they prescribed me medication and uh, they actually overprescribed my medication. At the time, I was a 130 pound soccer, skinny soccer player. And they prescribed me enough medication for a 300 pound woman. So I was just like completely knocked out all, all day. And I'm like, I can't function like this. So then that, that fall went to college, freshman in college. I'm like, oh, this really isn't that important. Wasn't taking my medication, had another seizure. I've not had a seizure since then. But one of the things that can trigger a seizure is not enough sleep. So basically from that point, I was like, okay, I really need to understand this stuff. And I need to make sure that I am protecting the golden goose, putting myself in the best possible position to lead a normal life. And so I have been very militant <laughs> about my sleep habits. I do a lot of different things. I've created a sleep sanctuary, so to speak. We've got blackout curtains. We've got the white noise. We've got the nice bed. You know, uh, I go to bed at the same time every night. I track my sleep uh, every single night and I'm making sure that I am getting enough sleep. So eight hours at least. And uh, that my, I use uh, auto sleep on, on iOS so I can keep track of like the number of REM cycles and how much deep sleep I got. Uh, not that that stuff is really all that scientific, but I feel like it's good enough for me and it'll give me a picture of whether I slept really well or whether, you know, I should be a little bit more careful because I don't want to be going about my day to day, driving my car somewhere and I've got, I have another seizure. Like that would not, that would crush me. You know, even if, yeah, this, that having that weigh on my conscience, you know, it's not just me, this is affecting potentially anymore. So I feel like I, I really need to, um, to be careful with that stuff. Now, how does that device track the sleep? Is it through the watch or how does it, how yep. does it, how does it, oh, through the watch. Okay. okay. That one specifically, uh, and that is something new that I've been doing in the last several months. Before that, I was using an app called Sleep Cycle, which was just on your phone. Uh, I really believe that uh, the blue light from your devices is one of the things that can cause you to not sleep well. So for a long time, I've tried to limit the amount that I'm using my devices at night. And uh, recently I've, I've bought a, a hub, like a little charging station, which is out in the kitchen. And I'm trying to leave my, my phone out there at night because I don't even want to have the temptation at night to be checking things before I go to bed. Or inversely, I don't want it to be the thing that I reach for the moment that I get up either. And that is still a habit, you know, going back to discipline, that is still a habit that I am forming. <laughs> that one doesn't happen <laughs> every time. Uh, but I am, I am making strides. And uh, so that that's possible because of the advancements with the, the Apple Watch. Um, and that intentional use of technology, that's a big thing for me. I started a whole, whole column over at the suite setup, uh, I call it Mindfulness Monday, about positive uses of technology. I really feel like this is something we got to we got to wrap our heads around and we got to dictate the terms of engagement with this stuff because everything that we use on these devices, specifically with like social media, it's kind of engineered to take advantage of us. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if you've watched like the social dilemma, that documentary on Netflix by Tristan Harris. He was a social ethicist over at Google 
And I'll, those things can kind of like, they're, they're written in a way that they're supposed, they're trying to scare you. You know, it is, it can be very sensational. Um, but I do think there's some truth to that stuff. And I, I just think that, you know, with a little bit of intentionality, we can kind of flip the script on all that. And instead of just being part of the algorithm and responding to what they want us to see, we can set up our devices in a way where I'm going to use this in a specific way that I consider to be beneficial to my life at large. And it really isn't that hard. It just is not the default. <laughs> sure, sure, absolutely. I kind of style it as uh, uh, for the last hundred days, I've been using intermittent fasting to kind of control my my intake. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's worked really well. Well, we have to have the same kind of boundaries around our social media and our phones and everything. Uh, you know, there's two different camps. There's the Gary Vaynerchuk camp where, you know, there's never, you know, more and more and more and then there's the, uh, there's the social dilemma camp. And I think that uh, we can, we can find that disciplined middle ground to use the technology yeah. effectively. So hey, let me, let me speak to that for a moment, not to derail the, the podcast here. No, no problem. But you mentioned Gary V. So that's typically the guy that people think of when they think of hustle, right? right. <laughs> Sleeping three hours a night, always cranking, you know. <laughs> but the word hustle, it's interesting because it means to force to move hurriedly or unceremoniously in a specified direction. There's mm -hmm. nothing in that definition about the amount of effort that you are putting in there. In fact, it's actually all about the intentionality. And I think you can break that down into three separate parts. Okay. So you've got the, uh, the force and that is what most people think of when they think of hustle. It's early mornings, late nights. Problem with that is that it's not sustainable. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. You will burn out if you live that way. And then you've got the middle part, which is the unceremoniously. That's kind of like, I'm just doing my thing. I don't even care if anybody see this. And again, like speaking to the Gary Vee stuff, I don't think this is actually what Gary Vee would say, by the way. I think uh, he would probably agree with a lot of this stuff. But people just attribute this because this is what they see, you know, always sharing stuff on social media. How many likes does my post get? If you're really hustling, it doesn't matter because ultimately the thing, the specified direction, where are you going? Where's your destination? It's kind of like if you're getting in a car and going on a road trip, you start by identifying where you want to end up. And then you figure out the route that you're going to take to get there. And then you get in the car and go. Right, right, do right, not right. just like I don't care where I'm going. I'm just going to drive. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's what a lot of people uh, do. Though, if you think about the standard approach to the the hustle, it's like, sure. well, I don't know if this is the right thing or not. I just know that I see Gary V. Oh, and I want to be like him, so I'm going to crank too. Right, right, right. Oh, you froze there for a second, but it unfro it unfroze. Um, no problem, no problem. Um, when did you get it? First of all, that hustle piece was just amazing. Now, what was those? What were those three elements of hustle again? Can you share that with us again? You shared like there's three. Yeah, so I define it as vision. That's like your destination, and then your purpose. That's like your route. And vision and purpose. I mean, you could kind of interchange those, but I view that as like the thing that keeps you going as you are in motion. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's mm -hmm. not like big picture. It's more like your why okay. and then the work is the 
the hustle part, as most people typically define it, that's what people see. That's you getting in the car and, and going. But really, it's not about the effort that you put in. It's about the output. It's about how much progress you make. <laughs> so when I was getting up and writing for an hour, hour and a half every day, I was typically writing about a thousand words a day. And I, I tend to be a bit of a perfectionist. So I edited and I edited and I edited and I edited. I probably could have published it a lot earlier than eight months. That's how long it was from uh, when I started to when I actually self-published it. Um, and there are people I know who like sit down to write. And, and this happens to me sometimes too, if I'm not careful. And it could take you eight hours to write a thousand words. <laughs> so, and there's a lot of things that can factor into that. Did you limit your distractions? Are you responding to notifications? Do you have a clear intention when you sit down to write? I mean, there's all these different levers that you can pull, but ultimately productivity to me and hustle to me is no longer about, well, I put in eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, whatever. It's about, did I follow through on the thing that I was intending to do during this time? Mm-hmm. I have a question now, you know, as, as Christians, we have what's called, many of us have what's called the born again experience or the filling of the Holy Spirit. But well, when it comes to the concept of discipline and productivity, have you ever, did you ever have like a born again moment when it comes to, oh, I'm going to dedicate myself to becoming more disciplined. I'm going to dedicate myself to becoming more productive. Was there a moment where you were like, wait a minute, this is very, this is, I'm going to recalculate my life and make this you know, I'm going to become more intentional. Uh, was there a moment where that happened? Yeah, I guess, you know, the, really the moment where that happened was when I was teaching the personal management class because I was studying off of the syllabus that I was provided as a uh, as an instructor at the, the Bible college. Um, but I was also studying it for myself. And there was a uh, a lot of revelation that came from that personal study around the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. So just real briefly there, I guess um, there's three guys there who all get entrusted with different sums. Then the master goes away. I believe that God will only delegate what you are able to administrate. So he's not going to waste his resources, but he has no problem entrusting them to people who are going to, to steward them well. Okay, so the fact that the one guy got five, that to me illustrates that we're joining a story in progress and he has qualified himself for those five talents. And likewise, the person who got two and the person who got one. And everybody kind of focuses on the person who got one, he didn't do anything with it. And that's the guy who got in trouble. And there's definitely truth to that. And if you just look at that part of the story, it's like, well, I better get busy. But I think you can even see differences in how, how the one with five and the one with two uh, reacted. Because as I was studying it, I noticed that the one who got five, it says that he went to work immediately and did something with it. It does not say that about the one who, who received two. And that doesn't mean that they're a bad person. It's not a judgment on their character. But everything that God does, he does by multiplication. So it means that maybe he wasn't at the level yet that the guy with five had. And that's okay. It doesn't matter where you start. I mean, the whole principle like compound interest, if you're studying productivity, I'm sure you've come across that before where you get one and you double it and then you double it again, double it again. In fact, one of my favorite stories is about the guy who invented the game of chess. 
the the story goes that he was asked by the the king of the country where he lived what he wanted as a reward for this incredible invention. He said, "I want one grain of rice doubled for every square in the chessboard, eight by eight. So one, two, four, eight, sixteen, thirty-two, etc." And uh, you you know where this is going. Um, King's like, "Oh yeah, sure, no problem." And he's a little offended that he didn't ask for more. And then a couple of days later, he asked the treasurer, "Did you pay the guy yet?" And he's like, "No, we don't have enough." because <laughs> it ends up being like 10,000 trillion, you know, grains of rice. So that's the power of, of discipline in my mind is you just show up, you keep getting like 1% better as James Clear talks about. You keep doubling the talent that you've got. And then eventually it doesn't even take that long, honestly, before you find yourself with a considerable number of, of talents at your disposal, because God is able to trust you with these resources. He has no problem giving them to you. So I'm studying that stuff. I'm recognizing that, you know, the, the resources that I am entrusted with, that is in direct proportion to my ability to steward them. And at that point, I'm like, God cares about productivity. Holy cow. (laughs) I guess I better get serious about this because I know that these time management, these task management type skills, this is what's going to allow me to make better use of the time and the talent and the treasure that I have been entrusted with. Um, And there have been different points in my life where something hits me out of the the blue. I find myself in a position that I never really thought I'd be in. And then you kind of feel bad because it's almost like you're taking a step back, but you can't go there. You can't think about, well, what did I do wrong? Because again, God works by multiplication. Only thing you can do is get back on the horse keep moving forward, keep doing your very best to steward what God has entrusted you with and keep making progress. And progress is not how much can I accumulate? Progress is how much am I able to help other people? Because that is the spiritual reason that I believe I am here. There's so much stuff in the Bible that talks about fruit. You know, well, a healthy tree is going to produce fruit, but the fruit isn't for the tree. The fruit isn't sustaining the tree. The fruit is going to give life to other people. Wow. And man, there are so many verses where like Jesus curses the fig tree because he doesn't see any fruit. John 15 talks about like, if you're abiding in me, you will produce fruit. Anything that's not producing fruit is going to get cut off and thrown into the furnace. And I mean, it's not, you can't view it as like, oh, woe is me. I want to avoid the fire. You know, that's not going to be enough. Your vision has to be bigger. It has to be beyond you, your family, the people that are closest to you. You got to ask God to help you to see people the way that he sees them. And then, you know, that's when Jesus says the harvest is, is right. You know, that's when you get excited because you're like, Hey, I can help that person. I can help that person. I can help that person. And you don't have to have it all figured out either. Like I get intimidated when you introduced me in the same line as like Jocko and David Allen. Jocko specifically, I mean, wow, extreme ownership. Holy cow, that book rocked my socks off. <laughs> Discipline equals freedom, you know? Uh, but the thing is, the, the, the enemy will always try to tell you that you are too young or you are too old. He will always try to get you to focus on yourself. Because then you may get to heaven, but you don't bring anybody with you, then that's, that's a win in his book. And as long as you are progressing, you are able to help people who are at the, at the stage that you were. 
So maybe you haven't fully attained your maximum potential yet. Absolutely does not matter. You know, if I was going to sit down to write a book and I'd say, well, you know, I'd really like to write a book like David Allen on getting things done, but man, David Allen is just so much smarter than I am. He has all these millions of people that he works with. He's got all this stuff figured out. And like, who's going to listen to me? You can convince yourself very quickly that you should not write that book. <laughs> But you don't know, you don't know who is in that position, who will hear your voice and they wouldn't hear David Allen's voice. You know, you have, I really believe this. Every single one of us has a gifting, an anointing, if you will, to say things a certain way based on our own personal story, our own personal testimony, our own personal experience that qualifies you in somebody else's eyes. And you may be the person who they read your thing. They listen to your thing. They watch your course, your videos, your podcast, whatever. And they're like, wow, you know, that thing just totally changed my life. There's one specific story of that in particular. Cause my book, I mean, I appreciate the kind words that you said about it. It's not a big bestseller. It's didn't completely change the, the, act, the act of writing that again, the, it, the book itself did not change my life, but the process of writing it did. The disciplines that I got from doing it, that's really the thing that made the impact. It wasn't like I launched it, huge commercial success, all the money's rolling in. Now I no longer have to do anything else the rest of my life. That's certainly not what what happened. But I got an email from somebody about a month after I launched it, said, you know what? I was considering suicide. I'm a former pastor and I just was at my lowest point dealing with all these health issues, married, have a young child at home, and I just couldn't do it any longer. And then I read your book and it gave me a new lease on life and it totally changed my perspective and it helped me to to keep going. You know, like that's why you do it. (laughs) One person at a time. (laughs) That is so powerful. That is so powerful. Now, as a and you know what, to continue that to continue that thought just for a moment, you know, you reaching that person, you don't know the potential that that person has, and that Mm. again, the power of potential. So, I write something and five people read it, okay? But those five people, they catch it and they go and they reach five more people, and those people catch it and they go reach five more people. All of those people, I believe, come back. To your account because you were faithful to what God told you to do. Amen. 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 That's very powerful. Now, as a disciple of Christ, have you ever struck? Now, I don't know, maybe, maybe this doesn't happen in Wisconsin, but I've seen a lot <laughs> of this in Virginia and in North Carolina. Um, as a disciple of Christ, have you ever struggled with the low standards that some Christians have towards kingdom work? Because, uh, and let me just explain what I mean here is uh, I've been in church since 96, 97. And uh, I've seen like extremely professional people who are, are given millions of dollars to budget on their government jobs and other things. And then, you know, always on time for the job. And then there's this attitude when it comes to church work that can kind of be, well, you know, this is uh, this is my volunteer effort or whatever else. And then it, it can be frustrating for me and I'm not even as disciplined as you are. So has this ever, have you ever struggled with this or is there a, a better me- mental way to cope with that when you, when you deal with it? <laughs> yes, I have struggled with it. <laughs> um, so you mentioned uh, the volunteer parts. Um, 
when you are dealing with church ministries, there are larger churches that have paid staff and they have marketing departments and people like this is their job, uh, but that's not the type of church that I belong to. So what that means is that you are, if you are in charge of a ministry, like my wife and I are leading uh, the outreach ministry in our church, it means that you are coordinating a volunteer army. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Which is leadership at its most basic um, because there's no monetary incentive for people to follow through and do what you, you want them to do. So I actually kind of enjoy that. It, it's been difficult, but also I think that this is kind of like leadership school where you really, uh, you really understand how to motivate people and communicate to people in a way that gets them on board with the vision. Uh, I heard somebody say one time, uh, leadership is convincing people that you can get them where they want to go, which that in and of itself, there's, I mean, there's so much right there. John Maxwell has a whole book on the five levels of leadership. Most people who are not very strong leaders, uh, who don't have high leadership positions, they view leadership as entitlement. They view it as I have a bunch of people at my disposal who will bring me what I want whenever I want it. But as you become a better leader, you realize that it's actually not your desires, your will that matters anymore. It's the people that you're trying to lead. They are actually more important than you are. (laughs) So becoming a leader requires selfless sacrifice. Um, And that I think in a church context talking about volunteer army like that's the point that you have to get to if you're going to lead in that position well Uh, the other thing that i've learned through leadership in in ministry specifically and in churches is that um, you can get upset about people who aren't following through who maybe aren't as disciplined as you are so for me i can't stand it when people show up to things late Okay, but you may have a leader in your ministry who shows up to things late. And at that point, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to get upset? Because I can tell you from experience, the only person that's going to hurt is you. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So you got to, part of it is, um, I really do believe that God puts people in positions based on their ability to to steward what he's, he's told them to do. And God's standard for somebody else, you have no business poking your nose in there. All you can do is try to meet the standard that God has placed on you, maximize the talents that you've been given and do your best to steward what you have. And uh, there's a verse in, I think it's Jeremiah talks about, um, do you see a man skilled in his work? He will not serve before obscure men. He will serve before Kings. To me, that means that whatever you do discipline wise, God sees it. And if you continue to develop the the talents that God has given you, even if your leader isn't as disciplined as you are, you don't have to worry about it because you're not going to be under that person for very long. Or the other thing is maybe they're more disciplined than you realize and you're just not seeing things right. That's another big lesson I've learned. It's like, don't even bother trying to project blame on anybody else. It always comes back on me. Taking responsibility as a leader for, for things is very different than assigning blame to something. And this is another thing that I see people do uh, in churches, but but not just churches, companies and organizations do this too. It's like, oh, well, this thing failed. 
Whose fault is it? It doesn't matter. The leader is going to take responsibility for it and say, it's my fault. So no one else has to deal with it. You know, love covers a multitude of sins. And at that point, the leader is going to say, well, it's not just me taking the blame for this thing, but I'm going to instill the change here so that it doesn't happen again. I'm going to figure out the system that we can create to make sure that we don't, we don't fall off the, fall off the wagon again. You know, we don't end up chasing the going, going down the wrong, wrong trail. Uh, That's really what leadership is, is all about. So again, like you can get upset by trying to project your standard onto other people, but really the better thing to do is just to keep asking, how can I do better? And ultimately, um, when you are when you have other people specifically who are above you, uh, ask, figuring out how you can be a part of the solution, not just pointing out the problem. Nobody likes the guy who's just like, "Hey, you're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong." <laughs> and ultimately, all that's doing, especially in a church context, is causing division. And Psalm one thirty three it says that where there is unity, that's where God commands the blessing. So the absolute best thing you can do from a discipline standpoint is keep your own nose clean and then don't worry about anybody else. <laughs> powerful, powerful, powerful. I knocked out a bunch of questions I had after that. So you, you, uh, you, you uh, knocked out three questions with one answer there. Now, uh, <laughs> you are such a beacon of discipline yourself. How do you manage when you are placed in something that is totally beyond your control and it seems chaotic? And I, I, do, I know that may not happen every day, but it must, it, you know, maybe you have to go to a family member's house for Thanksgiving and things are not as disciplined as, as you would normally have it. Or maybe you would go someplace and you're just in a total chaotic place. How, does, how, do, how do you cope with that? How do you handle that? Yeah, well, there's a bunch there, too. Uh, so I've worked with a family business. <laughs> Uh-oh. which is kind of like the intersection of all the things. <laughs> um, let's start with the Thanksgiving dinner example, because uh, I have a couple of brothers who also have kids. And it's interesting when we get together because everybody has a different parenting style and that becomes very evident. Right. Uh, we, you can't, again, project your standards on anybody else. And I would say that my wife and I are probably a bit more strict than just about anybody that we would <laughs> come in contact with. <laughs> so as a, in a family dynamic, what that means is that sometimes there's stuff happening that would not fly in our house, but it's also not our house. So how do you balance that? You know, uh, we try to teach our kids that, you know, other people will do things and that's fine. They have different rules, but these are the rules that we abide by. So you may see somebody else acting out. They may be doing something that you know mom and dad would not approve of. It's your job to not join in on that. (laughs) And kind of what what keeps that, um, solidifies that for us is we actually have family core values that are framed and hanging on our living room wall. Uh, and so it's kind of like the filter that we try to make all of our decisions through and it kind of casts vision for who we want to, our family to become and also who we want our kids to become. And it's not like we're trying to control them and telling them this is what you have to do sort of a thing. But again, it's just casting the vision of like your Schmitz be a leader. You know, that's the, the last thing at the, the bottom. Uh, other people may, you may not. 
<laughs> just deal right, right. with it. And that's really what discipline is all about. I mean, discipline is kind of like a voluntary, well, unless you're joining the military or something is being forced on you. But for a lot of people, discipline is something that you have to decide for yourself. It's a, it's a standard that you hold yourself to. You can't force other people to, to um, conform to that level of discipline. Even if you have people underneath you in like a, a, a business or a, an organization, I mean, discipline, uh, like, I guess punishment maybe is the other, other term that people kind of inter- interchange with discipline sometimes, you know, you can't just find people if they don't follow through with stuff like that may motivate them for a very little while in the short term. And that will get you to the point where you realize whether you have the right people on the bus or not, but that's not good. If you're, if your goal is like, I want to get these people to, to the, f- the finish line, get the organization to the finish line. You gotta, you gotta get beyond that. At Becoming Discipline, we examine discipline or organization in the following areas, spirituality, mental, physical, emotional, finance, calendar, home organization, data organization. Can you tell us which of these do you consider your strong points and which of these would you consider your undeveloped areas? And I'll repeat it, spirituality, mental, physical, emotional, finance, calendar, home organization, and data organization. What's your strong point and what's your undeveloped area? Sure. Uh, I would say probably at this point, most people would say that my spiritual discipline uh, is the one that is the highest because I have created the Bible reading and the prayer habits where that just is part of who I am. Uh, We, well, (laughs) pre-COVID, we were at church for three services a week. Uh, I'm playing on the worship team. I'm leading the men's ministry. My wife and I co-lead the outreach ministry. We're very, very involved at our, our church. And a lot of people look at that and they're like, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to be that busy with it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we do. Because this is the most important thing. Um, the physical maybe also, uh, so when all of the COVID stuff started happening in March, I recognized that when I got outside, I felt better, <laughs> not just physically, but emotionally. So I ran or biked every single day from March 16th or whatever it was uh, up through the end of September. In the month of August, I actually got in over 300 miles. Um, So, uh, and again, this just comes down to having a solid why. Um, I don't like really talking about the strong points. Let me pick on myself a little bit here. (laughs) I guess the area that maybe we would be the weakest in, we may myself, but, uh, as a family, my wife and I, we talk about, um, our need to do, uh, be more disciplined with our budget. Um, now part of this is due to the fact that, um, we've talked a lot about, uh, about my spiritual discipline, uh, my Christian belief system. I wholeheartedly believe that God is going to take care of his kids doesn't mean that we can just do whatever the heck we want. But I went through a thing a year and a half ago where I was unexpectedly let go from a job. Um, and then I found myself like not knowing how I was going to put food on the table for with five kids at home. That was uh, pretty stressful. Um, I worked on my course, faith-based productivity. Uh, i continued to do the, the other things that I was doing, but it was not enough. At the same time, 
Uh, we got installed as elders at our church. I felt I'm completely unqualified to do this. Uh, I don't even have a solid job. Like how, how can I possibly be an elder? You know, I, I, I shouldn't be here. And my pastor basically said, you know, the fact that you don't feel qualified, that's what qualifies you. <laughs> Keep that attitude. <laughs> uh, we were asked to go on a mission trip to Costa Rica and um, I'm like, I'm trying to launch this course. I'm trying to build a business. Like, there's no way I can go. Uh, they said, uh, we really need a photographer to come with us. So can at least Rachel go, uh, my wife. And I said, well, I don't know how this is going to work, but okay, fine. She can go. Uh, she goes to the meeting, comes back, and then I'm heading down to church to have a meeting about a different men's ministry related thing. And she walks in the door. She says, Mrs. W, pastor's wife, needs to talk to you. I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> so I get down there. She's like, Michael, we need to have a talk. <laughs> uh, she basically told me, um, pastor and I, I don't feel good about Rachel going and you not going. Just the season of life that you're in, you need to be together. So either you both go, you both stay completely fine. We're not pressuring you one way or the other. But because this was so late in the game, she's like, we need to know within 24 hours. Okay. So we go home. I'm all stressed out because I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Uh, finally, at like 1130 that night, feel like God is telling me, just go to bed. The answer will be there in the morning. So the next morning, my wife was actually taking pictures for a study for a, a company nearby. She had left by the time I got up and uh, she texts she texts me um, and says, I think I was finally able to remove my emotion from the decision. And for us, the answer right now is no. Okay. Uh, I got, had gotten in the shower. I felt God tell me, picture yourself saying out loud to your leaders, you're going to Costa Rica. What does that do inside of you? And then inversely, say, you're not going to Costa Rica. What does that do inside of you? And so I get out. I believe that God's told me, you got to go. Rachel texts me. She says, no. And I'm like, well, we're still not in agreement then. So you better call <laughs> Mrs. Willoughby because <laughs> she does discipleship with, with her. And um, she told Rachel the exact same thing that God had told me, say it out loud. What does that do inside you? You are going, you aren't going. So then we talk. I'm like, well, what do you get? She's like, well, when I say we're going, I do a happy dance. When I say we're not going, I feel icky. <laughs> All right, well, we got to go. Uh, so I call the leader who's organizing the trip. He's like, so what, what's the answer? I'm like, oh, we're going to go. He's like, okay, how are you going to pay for it? Cause it's like two grand a person. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just know I've struggled with this and I'm done struggling with this. So I'm going to trust God. Like, okay. Uh, within 24 hours, I had, uh, both of our trips had been paid for. And I had gotten a phone call from the person who runs the the suite setup where that's my, my primary job right now, who's actually somebody, you know, months prior, I had said, I wish that they would just offer me a job. <laughs> so he calls me, he's like, you know, I had this epiphany moment where like the courses that we sell and the reviews that we write, like, that's really the pillar of the business. And you're the best person that we've ever worked with who's done either of those things. So I want to make a position for you. And that taught me basically like, you don't have to carry that, that burden. 
<laughs> you just got to trust that God's going to going to provide. I feel like uh, that is an area that in the past I have um, carried too much weight myself. I put too much stress on myself to do that out of my own natural ability. And really the best thing you can do from a stewardship standpoint is to do what God tells you when he tells you to, to do it, not try to figure out how this is going to work, but step out in faith and do what he's told you to do. Because if it's his will, ultimately it's his bill. He's going to make sure that you have the resources that you need to get the thing done. He's not going to tell you to do something and then not give you what you need. Amen. Amen. Yeah, and, uh, I just want to say you're a really encouraging person from this standpoint. Well, you're also a unicorn. I, I and this from this standpoint is um, I've been in church since '97, and I've seen, uh, sadly, I've seen folks who are spirit led, but then they they almost act as if being led by the spirit means they can't have structure and discipline. <laughs> you know, like just kind of like. I'm just gonna let anything flow, you know, and 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 and, yeah. and that's almost the the concept you get. Well, I'm just waiting on the Lord. I'm just listening to the Lord. And then on the other hand, I've seen people who are highly intellectual, uh, very smart, very structured, and it's almost when I engage with those people, it's almost like they've scheduled Christ out of their life. You know, where yes. they're Christian, but they're so structured that, that I kind of, you know, like, are you going to listen to the spirit? <laughs> can God change? It's great to have a calendar, but can God change your plans? Exactly. So Matthew six thirty three, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So I have learned through the years that we've been involved with the church that we're going to now that when you build God's house, he will build your house. And so with five kids at home, I could spend so much time with each individual kid just trying to make sure that they have what they need by the time they, they leave the house. And ultimately, what they really need is an encounter with God, and he needs to tell them who they really are. Amen. Right now, I, it's my job as a parent to help instill and, and support that identity. But ultimately, what really matters is what God says about them and what they're supposed to be doing. So I have to learn that. But then what you're talking about, like, that's exactly what I was frustrated by when I set out to write the book in the first place. And I realized just from all the productivity study, like one of my favorite quotes is by Dwight Eisenhower, who says that plans are worthless, but planning is everything. Mm. Okay. So that's kind of what discipline equals freedom, right? It's kind of this paradox. If you are disciplined, if you have the plan, then you have the creativity and the spontaneity. It's almost well, the same thing with the budget too. Like if you give every dollar a job, then you make the best use of the, the money that you have. That's when you find that you have more left over at the end of the month and you are able to do more things with it. And the key is like you were talking about uh, letting God disrupt the plan, doing your best with what you have to lay it all out there. But then if God says, no, you know what? You need to not do this thing right now. Instead, you need to go do this thing and minister to this person or whatever, you know, like then follow through and, and do that. And uh, another quote that I really, really like by uh, Martin Luther, he said, I have so much to do today that I must spend the first three hours in prayer. <laughs> You know, we can get in the productivity space. So focused on like the the things on the task list, you know, but ultimately what we need to do is 
ask God what should be on the task list. Wow. Hey, uh, and everything that's not on God's agenda gets cast into the, uh, the it's the straw and the hay anyway. So, um, and, you know, I always, I tell folks at my church that we study the book so that we can hear the whisper, you know, because uh, hearing the whisper, you know, we don't study the book for the sake of studying the book. We, we, we study the book so we can hear uh, what he is saying when he speaks to us. Um, some people believe on focusing on strengths and ignoring weaknesses. What do you believe about that? Uh, generally, I would agree that you should not be looking to just eliminate all of your weaknesses because if you do that, you will, you can, you can maybe eliminate your weaknesses, but you, you'll be at best mediocre at everything. <laughs> Uh, and there is a lot to be said for developing, uh, to you maximum potential, the thing that God has told you, like, this is what you're supposed to do. I really do believe in the importance of having a spirit of excellence. I think that's very closely related to, uh, to discipline, but also, um, my own personal story kind of illustrates the fact that you may have something that you never wanted to do. You never thought you would be doing. And God says, Hey, you should try this. And as you try things, you discover uh, things about yourself and you can realize that this thing that you had previously labeled as a weakness is actually a strength. Um, public speaking was that for me, I was always the guy who wanted to be in the background. I actually like preferred running the audio and stuff as opposed to being on stage for the worship team because I didn't want to make a mistake in public. <laughs> and then um, I joined a Toastmasters group and was completely terrified. You know, the average person, it said the number one public fear is, or number one fear is uh, public speaking. Number two is death. You know, that was, that was me when I, I started and putting the reps in uh, I recognize, like I mentioned, that it, this was a way that I could, I could connect more authentically with with people, and that actually showed me that this is something that, while I still get terrified before I would go give a speech, uh, it's very, very re rewarding for me. And as I did this over and over again, and just continued to refine my skills. I found that I was pretty good at it. So with Toastmasters, they have these different competitions. And um, the first competition I, I, I did, I was on stage and I forgot what I was. I was so scared about being on stage in front of these judges that I forgot what I was saying. Mm. Literally up there, like blanking out and was completely embarrassed by it. And so again, how do you respond to those failures, I decided at that point, I don't care what the next competition is. I'm signing up for it because I got to prove to myself that I can do this. Happened to be a humorous speech contest. I do not consider myself a funny guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But I wrote this, this speech and there are several different levels. Uh, I won the club level and then there's like an area level and a division level. I made it all the way to the, what's the... Uh, I forget what the term is for it, but it was the entire state of Wisconsin in the Upper Peninsula. Mm. That was the, the the finals where I lost to a professional comedian. <laughs> so it didn't really feel bad about that one. Um, but that in and of itself showed me that like I'd already gotten a lot further than I ever thought I would uh, with this. And also at that point, that's where I got connected with a coach, uh, Aaron Beverly, 
who at the uh, the time was uh, competing nationally, uh, but actually last year now, he won the world championship of public speaking. <laughs> wow. Wow. I'll have to check out his speech. Okay. So if I had never entered that, that contest, I never would have made that connection and I never would have benefited from that experience and what he had to, what he had to, to teach me. So. Discipline. Subscribe now. Uh, outside of the Bible, what book, if you had one book to recommend to help someone become disciplined, and you can share one book inside the Bible, one, one book outside the Bible that you would recommend to help someone uh, become more disciplined. Sure. Well, one passage, like I said, Matthew 25, that one has a uh, special significance to me. If I were to recommend a book of the Bible, I think it's got to be Proverbs, because if you didn't even understand discipline, but you just followed that to the letter of the law, that is a book of, of discipline and wisdom that will <laughs> that will improve your life sure. outside of the Bible. I mean, that's a tough one because every single book is going to impact different people differently. I really believe in the power of habits. I think discipline is really personified in the things that you do daily. And that is ultimately your habits. Uh, I personally believe that goals are maybe overblown a little bit because you can have a goal and then you achieve the goal and then you're kind of, you kind of a letdown. It's like, Oh, what, what do I do now? Uh, that actually happened to me when I was training for a half marathon. I'd never been a runner and someone challenged me. I'm like, Hey, this is a great test of mind over matter. If I can do this, I can do anything. So I was training, overtrained, my patella tendon slipped off the side of my leg. Uh, and then I ran the race anyways, got done, knew I had physical therapy ahead of me. And I remember crossing the finish line, getting the, you know, to put the medal around your neck. I actually ran it faster than my target time. But then it was like, now what? Sign up for another race? I can't. <laughs> so that that's, you know, the goal oriented approach, whereas a habit oriented approach um, that's like learning to love the process. Now I just enjoy getting out, going for a run. There's two books that I would recommend as it pertains to habits. And one I would caution people to stay away from. So one is the power of habit by Charles Duhigg. I don't like that one. <laughs> I don't like that one at all. <laughs> uh, the other two I will share just because I think they will impact different people, different ways. Uh, Atomic habits by James clear. He's very, very good. Talks about the identity-based habits as opposed to the outcome-based habits. But the other one, which I've read after that, which I think I maybe even like a little bit more, is a much more approachable, I think, for people who aren't... Uh, I mean, for your audience, Atomic Habits is probably the place to start. But for people people who are just kind of more curious about discipline and habits, Tiny Habits by B.J. Fogg, which James actually references at the beginning of his book. That one's really, really good. It's a very easy read and it's more about behavioral change. And he kind of talks like big picture, little things, whereas James is more like the formula and you follow it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, James almost makes my four horsemen of discipline. James and uh, Kelly McGonagall, uh, they're almost in my four horsemen of discipline. But uh, <laughs> they're the, uh, what do you call it? The uh, uh, honorable mentions, I guess you could say. Sure, but 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 you edge them both out, my brother. You edge them both out. So okay. can you talk to <laughs> can you talk to us about the sweet setup? Yes, uh, the sweet setup is a site that kind of tests and recommends the best apps in a particular category for 
pretty much Apple users. It's really like iPad, iPhone, Mac users. So you'll find stuff on there like the best third-party email client or the best mind mapping app. And the thing that makes it different is instead of just saying, here are, here are the 10 best mind mapping apps, try them all out, figure out which one you like. We attack it from an intentionality standpoint. Like, what are we trying to do with this? So for mind mapping specifically, it's managing ideas. What is the app that is going to help you to do that and then get out of your way? (laughs) Again, through the mindfulness perspective of like positive uses of your technology. It's not always like, here's the latest new shiny, but here's the things that if you learn how to use them the right way are really going to affect positive change in your life. So there's a blog where we write usually a couple of articles a week. Uh, and then there's a bunch of training courses, which are really video courses that teach you how to use the apps in specific ways. Like there's a course on Ulysses, which is not just the technical features, but kind of the mindsets that you have to develop in order to develop a writing habit and achieve your writing goals. Or with mind mapping, there's a whole bunch of example workflows and like, here's how you use it for taking book notes. Here's how you use it for project management, all these other things. Uh, We just launched a new course. Our most recent course actually is called Calm Inbox. It's all sorts of mindsets and perspectives that you should have when it comes to managing not just email, but social media, text messages, basically any of those inboxes in your life, which the default again is just leave it open, push notifications. People can steal your attention from whatever you're doing at any given moment. You know, there is a lot of technical, like how you do that, how you do these things in these specific apps in there. But a lot of it also is just the mindsets and learning to take back control of the inputs in your life. Awesome. Now, uh, just so that people can have a preview, can you talk to us about the Focused Podcast? Yes, the Focused Podcast is the podcast that I do with David Sparks, a.k.a. Max Sparky, which uh, in Thou Shalt Hustle, uh, I talk about him as being, uh, what did I call it? My in, one of my internet heroes. <laughs> so he is somebody, and by the way, the podcast specifically, just real briefly, I think the podcast medium is amazing because uh, what you are able to do is curate the voices that you're allowing to speak into your life, which is awesome. Because for me, as when I was starting my productivity journey, small town, Wisconsin, there was nobody around here that was passionate about productivity like I was that I could just sit and geek out about. So I started listening to podcasts. And I think it was Jim Rohn who said, um, actually, no, Jim, Jim Rohn said, uh, the, identify the people that you are allowing to speak into your life and ask yourself, uh, what impact are they having on me? And is that okay? Uh, so there are people that maybe you want to decrease the amount of the amount of credence you give to them speaking in your life. But somebody else had said, you know, that and this is where I think you were going, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So if you listen to the Michael Hyatt's and the James Clears and the Jockos and all that, like you're allowing them to speak into your life. And because it's the audio and video format, you feel like you have a seat at the table with them, even if they don't know you at all. Um, That's kind of where that started for me with David Sparks. And then testimony to discipline, you know, you show up, you do the work. Eventually I caught his attention and he's sending me emails about stuff that I was doing with another podcast, Bookworm. And uh, he's like, I really like what you're doing. I hear you telling your stories and I'm just want to encourage you to you know, keep going. Eventually he reaches out to me. He's like, I want to start a podcast with you. What do you think about 
<laughs> and this is one of those things where it's just like, pinch me, I must be dreaming because five years ago I was like, wouldn't it be cool if someday I could do a podcast with this guy? <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. Now, uh, can you talk to us about the Intentional Family Podcast? That is a podcast that I do with my with my wife, and uh, that is I say that is her podcast. So, um, I mentioned we have five kids. We homeschool them. I do a bunch of different things, work from home. But really, the key to my success is how awesome she is. <laughs> awesome. So people will come over and they'll see our family court. Oh, see like the systems that we have. Um, we got like a whiteboard. We got a whiteboard on the wall with like these different pie charts because we believe in like creating habits in our kids. And so it's like if everybody follows through with like bedtime manners and all that kind of stuff, uh, then they get a group reward. You know, so people see that kind of stuff and they're like, hey, so what's the story behind that thing? And we explain it and they're like, oh, that's really awesome. I think I'm going to steal that. And we're always like, go ahead. So we had had an idea to start a podcast uh, for a while. And then uh, when COVID hit, we were like, okay, this is the time we got to do this because everybody now, like everybody's at home and that's that can be either a good thing or a bad thing uh when you're around somebody all the time all that 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 quarantine what that did is it revealed stuff that was there that maybe you were hiding under the the rug of busyness at the time you know and uh so we wanted to help people affect positive change in their life you know being at home with your family shouldn't be something that you even subconsciously avoid because it's stressful you know, if there's stress there, it's because something's broken. And I personally think that you want to know what's broken. Some people don't like that. They then oh, don't, don't be a bummer, man. But like, no, I want to know what I'm messing up so I can fix it. Sure. Sure. That's powerful. My wife, uh, my wife really loves uh, what your wife shares there because we homeschool as well. And uh, your wife says something very profound about God gives us God doesn't give us children that, and we're, I'm butchering this, but God doesn't give us children that he doesn't also give us the tools in order to bless them and to, uh, and, and to be a blessing in their lives. He, you know, he gives us the children that, uh, uh, he intentionally gives us the children that we're supposed to be the stewards of. So, yes, so. exactly. I mean, that principle you can carry on even by, beyond, uh, on children, I mean, if you are where God has called you to be, it may be that you don't currently have the capability to do what you need to do. Sure. That could be by design. He could have placed you there so that you got to call out to him and you got, you said, God, grow me up. <laughs> Make me a big spirited man. Make me a big spirited woman. You know, help me to grow so that I can fulfill this, this role. The thing that gets tricky is you got to make sure that that's where God wants you to be. Uh, because if you are in a spot where he hasn't told you, like, this is where you're supposed to be and you find yourself, you know, trying to, trying to make things, make things happen. Um, he has no obligation to, to show up and, and make it all work. But the common thread there with everything that God has called, called people to do, like, I, I, I listen to and I read these things by these people who I really look up to, these big ministries, and almost every single person who is doing something great for God, they started at the point where they're like, yeah, God told me to do this thing, and I had no idea how I was going to do it. Somebody once told me, you know, if you are, if you can still, if you're at the point, like you're you're wading out into the water, 
and you're at the point where your feet can still touch the ground, you haven't gone deep enough. <laughs> you got to get to that point where you got to trust God. And then really what the, like the thing that freaks me out is just constantly making sure that I'm on the right path. Like, God, is this really the thing that you want me to be doing? And even he may tell you to do something too. And it's for a season. So you're there doing the thing that you're doing. You're running with everything that you got. And like, God told me to do this. And then you got to constantly go back and ask, hey, am I still supposed to be doing this? Because he may be like, okay, that's enough. Now make a turn. Go this way. <laughs> right, right, right. Now, talk to me about faith-based productivity, that that website. So faith-based productivity started off as my video course. Um, it was intended to be basically Thou Shalt Hustle 2.0. So there is a faith-based productivity course where I develop a lot of the models that I started with Thou Shalt hustle and in my opinion it's just way better i'm actually in the process of going back and updating uh, that book um, i have a i'm signed on with a hybrid author so i still have control basically of all of the creative direction but they help me you know get it in barnes and noble and stuff like that um, and then since then uh so i've got the courses there but i've also turned that into my personal blog i was maintaining a website for myself personally and i realize that faith-based productivity has basically become my brand for lack of a better term and I should just own it. <laughs> so I try to link to all the podcasts and things that I do from that site. I also do this thing. Um, I take sketch notes of all the sermons that I attend uh, because I read a study that said, you know, when you take notes by hand, you retain more information. I don't want to just collect information and be able to go back and search for it later. I want it to stick and have it at recall when I really need it. So then I, I discovered sketch noting and I'm like, well, that's that principle dialed up to 11. So I'm going to try this. And my sketch notes initially were terrible, but they've gotten better over the years. And now uh, I create a quick video on Sunday afternoons with the notes that I take from the, the morning sermon just kind of walk through like the the process. So if that's interesting to people, they can check that out too. <laughs> now you're teaching a uh, there's a course that you're doing either today or tomorrow uh, on those sketch notes, aren't? Didn't I read that on your Twitter account? Yeah, I am doing a, a webinar on mind mapping, uh, specifically as it pertains to the books that I read. And there's an article on faith perspective too about how and why I take notes in the books that I read. I use mind maps. I, I read physical books and then I, I take notes in a, in mind note on my phone. Uh, I've developed my own emoji system to differentiate different things. Like this is something that was inspiring to me. This is a quote that I want to remember. This is a key idea. Uh, and I've collected a bunch of these over the years. Uh, I developed them for myself, but I've also made them available for uh, the bookworm podcast. Uh, my buddy Joe Bulig and I read a different self-development or productivity type book every two weeks. And then we record a podcast. We talk about it. Um, there is a membership to that site where if you want to support that podcast, you get access to all of my mind node files for that. I think it's five bucks a month. Now, how do people get there? Uh, bookworm.fm is the website for the podcast. And then slash membership is for the, the $5 a month thing. Now, where's the webinar going to be at, though? How can people that is through Bigger Plate, and that is a mind mapping community, which is actually pretty interesting. I just got connected with these guys. 
they have a bunch of like mind map templates that people have created and they have like a huge library of these things that if you're a member of that community, then you can just download these things and use them in your different mind mapping applications. So I am doing a presentation as part of this big mind mapping conference, like a virtual conference sort of a thing that they're doing. Um, and so my session is going to be specifically on taking book notes and kind of there's a creativity angle to that. Uh, feel free to share that link if you want uh, from my my Twitter feed because that'll take you to the the Zoom uh, the Zoom thing and I believe it's free to to sign up for the the presentation the membership community that they have. There's a cost for that. Well, that's another cool thing about you, Mike. That I just want our people to know about any of our listeners uh, that uh, our spirituality came out, our our Christianity came out in this interview. But I've seen you deal with very secular people before. And when you're dealing with really, you know, secular folks, to me, you never come off preachy or over the, t you know, so you, you, um, that's something we have in common that you know how to walk in the secular world, you know, and, and uh, I, uh, I've seen a lot of Christians who they, you know, um, they, they need to work on 1 Corinthians 9. We become all things to all people so that we might save some. <laughs> and sure. uh, you do that really well because I've seen you had to deal with a lot of, you know, I won't talk about where, but, uh, you know, where I first, you know, that other site that you used to, you know, um, I've, I've seen you deal with a lot of secular people and you never came off uh, pushy about your faith or over the top and, and uh but you but people knew where you stood and i and and uh i think that's uh, very profound and it's a it's a great balance that i think more christians need to find so i think, I think that's very powerful about you um thank you on that note specifically if i if, uh if i could just encourage people who are kind of like not sure where to draw the line there between sharing their faith and fitting in uh, I have never using those platforms ever tried to convince someone that they should become a Christian. <laughs> uh, all I do is share, this is who I am. This is what happened to me. And I tell my story and it's a big part of my story, especially a part of my productivity journey, but no one can argue with my story. <laughs> Because it is sure. my story. It's not their story. Sure. So you avoid a lot of that contentious, well, what's right, what's not, when you don't try to attribute your values to somebody else. Um, but I also try to be very transparent and authentic, so I don't shy away from the fact that this is who I am. Right. right. I'm trying to be balanced with this podcast. I've had two uh, secular brothers on, and I've had two Christian brothers on, so uh, I'm trying to you know touch all all folks, but I'm not going to ever be ashamed or not going to ever hold my tongue. If I'm talking to you, you know, if there's another brother in Christ, I'm not going to go and like, uh, pretend like we're both not Christians. You know, that's, that's, that's just not who I am. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, do you have any closing thoughts for the listeners of becoming disciplined or all of us who are on that path of trying to become uh, more disciplined or more temperate people? If I were to give just one piece of advice, it would be to beat yesterday, get 1% better. Uh, in Atomic Habits, James Clear talks about the story of the British cycling team. 
and how that was their mantra. And it just completely changed the whole thing. But that principle applies to every arena. Uh, if you continue to make 1% improvements, which are so small in the moment that they almost don't even seem like they're worthwhile. But if you just keep doing that over and over and over again, that compounds to a pretty significant increase. So that combined with, uh, I can't remember the specific scripture, but there's a, a verse that says, do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord delights to see the work begin. So no matter where you are, what you think you've been entrusted with in terms of talents, just start and then keep getting better. Right. Absolutely powerful, powerful. I think that's in Zechariah. So, uh, yeah, I think you're right. Zechariah 4.2, I believe. Yes, yes. Well, uh, first, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. I'm so sorry for exhausting you. I could tell that I wore you out today a little bit. <laughs> But you are awesome and you are everything that uh, I thought you were going to be uh, and then some. And we thank you. I thank you just for your contribution in this space. I thank you for being a salty Christian who, um, you know, when you when uh, for everyone here, I, I, I really highly recommend that you check out um, the Kindle edition of Thou Shalt Hustle. And uh, uh, it's a really great book and a really, really great read, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of salt and light in that book. And please check out uh, Mike's other products that he mentioned here. Uh, thank you so much, Mike. You are awesome. You are everything that uh, that uh, I thought you would be and all of the content you brought and all of the wisdom that you brought. I can't wait to see what God is going to do with you. Uh, I really believe that uh, I'm not a prophet, but I do, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good predictor. And uh in the same way that we know Covey's name and everything, I believe that God's going to enlarge your borders and he's going to really bless you because as we know, he can see, he can see your work. And, and, and I definitely, if I can see your work, I know he can see a whole lot better than I can. So thank you so much, Mike. And, and we really appreciate you for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Amen. The Becoming Disciplined podcast will continue on for many years, interviewing a variety of guests throughout the culture of productivity and self-mastery, but we will be hard-pressed to find another guest as disciplined as Mike Smith's.